Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, my good friend, Doug Christie. Doug, what's going on, man? Not too much, Ham. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I think we're both a little exhausted after watching the Sacramento Kings somehow pull out a miracle win over the Toronto Raptors. How much did that team need that win? Uh, as about as much as a man in the desert with no water. Uh, they they needed it extremely bad from a lot of different uh, areas. I mean, one is for just from the mental side of things is, is getting a W. You know, wins, they, they come few and far between and they're big. But also the psyche of understanding that a new coaching staff is trying to tell you things and lead you and that the things that you are doing can work. And when you start to see that, you start to believe and that believe can go, belief can go into a lot of different areas. So it was really good for them to get a W last night. You know, you and I have lots of conversations, you know, both on the air and off the air, but it, it really – to me, it feels like this team, especially Dave Yeager, is still trying to figure out who his pieces are and what you know, what guy can work with what guy and what line it might work and why Ty Lawson can't get to the hole and, and all of these things. How difficult is that to throw all these pieces together, jump in there, and, and then hope that it just works out? You know, I, I can only imagine as, as a coach coming into the type of situation that Coach Yeager is coming into with, uh, you know, all the things that have been kind of dysfunctional for many years past here and now to try to stabilize it and then to start with uh, Darren Collison out for eight games and, you know, guys in and out. You're trying to figure out what the lineup is going to be that best suits your two stars and DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay to help get W's. But now, uh, do I play big? Do I play small? Well, if I play small, I'm deficient maybe on the defensive end. But it picks up the pace and it picks up the aggressiveness of the defense. So uh, trying to figure it out on the fly is definitely difficult. And uh, I take my hat off to Coach Yeager because he's doing it night in and night out. And last night, I think they figured out, actually not last night, night uh, two nights before against the Clippers, they figured out that uh, with the small lineup, they can pick up the pace and pick up the defensive aggression. Yeah, it really does seem like this team is kind of like running in mud most of the time. And then all of a sudden you, you mix in a couple of different pieces. Again, Collison's absence just really hurt this team early. But you, you mix in a couple of different ingredients and they seem to find a fire that, that that was missing. How, I mean, you've been on plenty of teams. How strange is that when just one guy popping in all of a sudden changes everything? Yeah, it, it is a little different. But, you know, a lot of times when you think about it, Ham, it, it, it's not that something that you don't see often. For instance, uh, whether it was Matt Barnes coming in, you talk about energy guys, guys that bring that 
spunk to the to the team. Uh, you know, with us, there was Bobby Jackson, there was Scott Pollard, guys that would ob- obviously just bring a boost of energy, a boost of aggressiveness. And you know, for the Kings, it was something that in the in the first unit it was lacking a little bit. And if that is picking up full court, whatever it is. Uh, I, I think he found it in the second half of the Clippers game. And it, it, it's really good because I think that that's how you have to come out. You have to come out and you have to set a tone. And to find a lineup that, that did that in the second half is great. And then to watch them come out in the first quarter of last night's game versus the Raptors, uh, that was really good because normally we're finding ourselves in a big hole. And last night, not so much. You know, one of the things that impressed me so much about the Raptors game was that both Costa Kufis and Aaron Aflalo got sent to the bench. And they both responded so well to to sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a, a demotion or whatever you want to call it. I mean, Costa came in and was a defensive force. And Aflalo came in and popped in 14 points in the first half before he banged knees in the second half. How hard is it to transition from being a starter to to the bench and sort of that uncertainty as to what your role might be and how you're going to fit in. Well, it, it depends on how set everything is. You know, if, if stuff is super set, then maybe it's a little difficult. But when you put the team before yourself, it, it, it's not that difficult. I look at Manu Ginobili, who started for many years, and Coach Pop told him, look, I'm going to need your score and punch off the bench. He went to the bench gracefully, and, and what is the San Antonio Spurs just kept rolling. So sometimes for a guy like Aaron Aflalo, uh, he can get a glance at the game and see what's going on, and then he can say, okay, I see where I can I can." help right now and that that helps them some guys it it just lights a fire underneath them and it's it's something that they need to say oh you know look this isn't something that's just going to be given to me I got to remember that I got to go out there and earn it whatever the reason was I agree Costa Kufus was fantastic and Aaron Apollo both of them were fantastic last night and I hope to see that continue whether it's in the starting lineup or not because it looks like things are going to be a bit fluid for a while until you really find that set offense it it was funny because I believe it was me and you that were talking last night but we were talking about the fact that uh, until you get good enough ham like with our team we had a set lineup and that set lineup made other teams adjust to us we never tampered with it because the lineup was so good that you had to make other teams adjust we're not quite there yet with the exception of Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins everyone else can kind of be switched around until we find those other three spots that are just solid and other teams have to match up to us you know, it really seems like Jaeger is struggling with that, just finding the right pieces to plug into the, the holes. And, of course, he's he's had to just throw out the window his young players early in the season. Ben McLemore is not getting consistent minutes now. Willie Cauley-Stein isn't getting consistent minutes. He's sort of hunkering down and, and relying so heavily on his veterans. I guess, is that just a, a defense mode for him? Like, let me, let me go with the guys that I know – might be able to get me a win and I'll worry about the young guys later. Well, you know, as you were saying that something kind of came to me, him. And and when I think about it, let's take a guy like Matt Barnes, for instance, when we think about Matt Barnes, one thing that coach Yeager knows is he knows that he is going to get a, 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 the same effort from Matt every single night. 
And that allows him to depend on a guy like Matt Barnes, where when you're dealing with a younger player, and and veterans do this sometimes too, but not as much because they've learned how to play in this league and how to do that is to be consistent. The more consistent you are, the more consistent minutes you're going to get. So when you look at a guy like Matt, he comes out and he gives that effort. Uh, Jaeger can depend on him. Other guys, sometimes it wanes a little bit. So then he kind of goes away from it and goes with the thing that he knows knows he's going to get on a night-to-night basis. Now, how do you teach a young player that? Because it seems like that might be the the ingredient that might be missing from these young players that that you know Ben has never been consistent in his in his 4 years in the league and Willie really did struggle last season as well with consistency, but it's tough to earn more minutes and be consistent and, and you know people are asking for consistency from you when they aren't giving sort of consistency back to you. I mean, that, that's that got to be, as a player, it's got to be just sort of so frustrating. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, the one thing, like you said, how, how do you teach a young player that? You teach him by when he doesn't do it, you pull him out and you sit him on the bench. And if that's not where you like to be, you're going to have to go out and give it. You do have to talk to him and talk him through it. But where does that 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 consistent effort come? You know where it comes, Ham? It comes from in practice, getting there early, staying late, and not doing it once or twice. You do it every single day. And the more consistent you are in not only in basketball, but things in your life that way, it allows you to, it becomes a lifestyle in the, in the way that you are. And, and it's difficult because one thing that I, I've heard Coach talk about, and I heard Matt Barnes because he's on a radio show with Grant and I, is learning how to play hard at a, a really high level for a, a long prolonged uh, period of time, meaning 48 minutes, it is difficult. It takes a lot out of you and you got to take care of your body. You got to eat and drink. You got to do all the things right so that you can come back and give that same effort the next day. So it's difficult, but you do it in small pieces. And before you know it, you can be up and running. You know, you mentioned in that early in that, that statement right there that, you know, the coach has to talk to the players and and tell them why they're they're coming off the floor like Ben and and Willie but we're seeing this this issue sort of play out with Omri Caspi which is which is sort of strange I mean Omri's been around the team for you know for on and off for the last like six or seven years um but to watch a player who comes out and says I haven't talked to the coach except for like in group settings since all the way back in in training camp is that strange to you to have a player who, I mean, because I, I know he's talked to Flade, but if you really had an issue as a player, would you talk to a head coach first or would you talk to a GM first? How how do you typically approach those situations? Well, you know, as as I look at that situation, Ham, it sounds like, first of all, Coach Yeager has a lot of different things going on. He has to focus on the the team. He has to set practice schedule. There's a lot of different things on top of you trying to stop a a losing streak. So he's talking to everybody in group settings. But I would probably think that when Omri talked to Vlade, Omri went to Vlade, correct? 
Yes. And if that is if that is correct, then if you want to talk to the head coach, what do you do? You go and talk to the head coach. So if if it was me, that's how I would approach it. You have to be proactive. If you want to sit down when a coach has a moment, hey, coach, can I talk to you for a second? And then you try to get an understanding. One thing that I do like that I heard from Coach Yeager is he said when he did change everything, he set everyone down together. And by doing that, there's it leaves no room for misunderstandings. This is how it's going to go. This is how people are going to be played. So it, it, it takes out the chance for little groups of chit chat and, oh, coach told me this and coach told, no, coach told everyone everything all at once. But uh, if, if that was me and I, and I had an issue, I would go and I would talk to coach man to man and just say, Hey, what's going on? Then there's no misconstruing anything. Vlade is the general manager. He runs everything, but coaches the coach on the floor and he runs the show. All right, so the Kings bounce back. They they snap their four game streak. Uh, they've got two games coming up, which are against uh, again tough tough opponents. They've got the Thunder coming through. They've got the Rockets coming through. What do they need to do in these games to just sort of build on on this Toronto victory? Well, I would say both of these teams are actually similar. When I look at the Thunder and I look at the Rockets, you got James Harden with the Rockets and you got Russell Westbrook with the Thunder. Both of them are big time scorers. They're averaging a lot of rebounds and a lot of assists. They they almost look the same. I would say the the Rockets probably shoot a little bit more three balls than the Thunder do, but they they get up and down and they run and they depend on one person. So you're going to have to pick your poison. With Harden and Russell Westbrook, are you going to take them away and make other players uh, beat you? Or are you going to let them get their points and, and hold everybody else down? That's going to have to be what the game plan holds. But first and foremost, with both of these teams, high octane teams like to get up and down the floor. So you're going to have to get out to good starts. That thing that's been nipping the, the Kings and the Achilles where they're getting out to bad starts, that can't happen against both of these teams. Uh, as well with both of them, not so much with uh, OKC as Houston, that three-point ball that's just been getting the kinks. You're going to have to run guys off the three-point line. When you run back in transition, stop above the three-point line. Don't get below it because if you do, you're going to get hit right in the mouth with the three ball. So uh, both teams are ran by really good players that are looking for their teammates. They're both almost averaging a triple-double and well about 30 points a game. So this is going to be interesting, but both of them are similar. So you can devise a game plan, and and you're going to have to kind of pick your poison. Is it going to be the superstar, or is it going to be all the others? If it's both, uh, it doesn't vote well for us. (laughs) That's that's right. Now, I guess, can you pull from the Raptors game and the way that you've defended DeMar DeRozan and take that as a blueprint? He's not the passer that the other two guys are, but is it possible that maybe the Kings have stumbled upon something that works to slow sort of the one-man band teams? Yes and no. Yes, from the standpoint that I loved how you it didn't matter how DeMar DeRozan got the ball. There was always a second defender running, swatting, coming at it. The problem with that is with these two players in particular and Harden and Westbrook, they get the ball as a point guard in the backcourt. DeMar DeRozan didn't bring the ball up to court. So you have to be careful with that. DeMar also wasn't looking to drop off dimes to his big guys. And these guys are looking for Steven Adams and, and all those guys are right at the rim and those guys are throwing it down. Uh, so, so it's a, a little bit, yes, meaning that 
the the kings are looking to help. So that means that they're not going to let a guy get going. You, you know, you've got some help on the backside. So if you get up on a Westbrook or you get up on a hard, you know that DeMarcus is coming over. Costa Cooper's is coming over. Matt Ball. Barnes is coming over, but that means you got to help the helper. So when they come over, someone else has to drop down. So you got to make that that pass that that Westbrook and Harden is going to make. It can't be you got to make him almost turn his head, complete 360. He has to find the hardest pass because everyone has to be on the move. So. I hope I answered your question. A little bit yes, a little bit no. <laughs> I think you answered it well enough. I I think so. So look, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you've got a you've got basketball practice to watch with with Dougie, uh, but this team is, is so up and down. It's so all over the place, and you're watching this crowd sort of come and go. Like the excitement is there for moments, but they just can't find some consistency. Do you see them building, or is this really? Are you anxious for this season? Uh, no, I, I think that they're building. It's just it, everyone wants it. What I call microwavable. They want it super fast. It it takes time. It, it just does. You you got to get a process. You got to get a blueprint for what you're trying to do, and then you you got to keep pushing it. You got to keep pushing it, and you got to know that you are going to have to lose doing it the right way before you can win doing it the right way. And that is hard to do because most times when a, a person starts losing, they hit the default button and they go back to that thing that they do that they feel comfortable at. And for us, that's one-on-one basketball. Body stop moving, the ball stops moving. And But when we do it the right way, things work out. We saw that last night. Uh, learning how to use Golden One Center to your advantage. You have an incredible, I'd say it to you I don't even think the guys know the home court advantage that they have because they've never truly used it once they get that crowd engaged it is a it is a special special crowd in Sacramento and that will become a home court advantage that they can use they got another person in there with them that can really put pressure on the opposing team it's funny you say that you you were you were telling that that earlier that during the game hey they don't know how to use this crowd they don't know how to use this crowd and then you saw Darren Collison go to the crowd and wave his arms and, and try to get them up. And Matt Barnes started pointing to different areas of the crowd. And you saw the crowd really try to carry them home. Uh, I guess it, it was nice to see them get a win. It was nice to see them reward the fans with a win, uh, even though it, it came at some controversy. Yes, it, it did. Uh, you know, engaging them there's times in the game and you and I talk about this all the time we just never talk about it on the podcast but uh when all of a sudden there's a steal and the Kings might not capitalize on it or there's you know they make a good run the other team calls a timeout and they just walk over to the bench it doesn't mean that you have to engage the fans every time but there's a way you got to get them involved and get them excited because these are some special fans I I mean I've heard it in there uh, now granted it was you know in the playoffs and Western Conference Finals and different things but where I couldn't even talk to the person next to me it was so loud and that is of such a benefit to you that uh, it was good to see Collis and it was it was good to see Matt Barnes do that and use that to your advantage because it is it is something at your disposal it's another tool for you to use that that will help you especially in those tight games as we saw last night the, the other team can get confused they can't they can't hear everything there's cowbells and all types of stuff going on in there so it was good to see him use the home court last night there it is Doug Christie CSN Doug, thanks so much for for coming on and and dropping some serious knowledge. 
anytime, Ham. Appreciate you, man. Go Kings. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me in this talkback section is Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, Kings win, Kings win. Wow. Wow is right, my friend. That was one heck of a game. Uh, no controversy at the end. I thought that everything went nice and smooth down to the finish. <laughs> and uh, no- nothing to see there. You know what? I'm just glad that uh, it didn't go to overtime because bad things always seem to happen to the Kings in overtime. And, and I'll also say this. Ball never bounces this way for the Sacramento Kings. Like, if you go back to the history, it just never happens. It never works out for them. And to actually have a ref review go in on the final play of a game and review the the video, and, and not only review a video, but review a video off of DeMarcus Cousins' word and come back with a wild... Game over. Kings win one hundred two to ninety nine over the Toronto Raptors. Uh, absolutely shocking. And I and I guess the officials have already had a like they posted a conversation with a pool reporter, and the they actually went back to Marcus Cousins went to them and said I touched the inbounds pass. The clock should have started. They go back. They look at it. DeMarcus does, in fact, get a, a fingertip on the inbounds pass, and it ended up 0.1 of a second. It was, I guess there was 2.43 seconds left on the clock, and this was two point, it took 2.53 seconds from the moment that the ball tipped off to DeMarcus Cousins' hand until, uh, until they, the Toronto Raptors shoot the ball, Terrence Ross, shoots a ball and buries like a 29 foot three pointer. Um, and they win by 0.1 of a second. What are your immediate yeah, I mean, thoughts? <laughs> I, I was shocked that they, that the call got reversed. I mean, you know, cause you looked at it and first of all, the replays were just not giving you anything. So we had to look for it for like three minutes to see kind of what happened. And you had the clock stop or probably start late. And then it started early on the second touch on the Terrence Ross touch. And so you're sitting there thinking, okay, you kind of get the football mentality of where if it's not conclusive, they're just not going to reverse it. But this actually has time involved and, and they can go frame by frame. And, and I still at the end didn't know, I, I assumed once the call had been made to, to give the Kings a game that they did have a conclusive evidence, but I was just doing the math in my head. I was like, that's, that's like, what point one away i i'm not even kidding you i thought it was like point one away from uh being correct or whatever so yeah it was it was a wild wild little finish there and the raptors have quite a case because if uh darren Collison did indeed have the ball in his hand when he shot at the 24 second violation uh then it's three point whatever seconds on the clock and yeah that might have changed a whole slew of things so i don't know that it's you know, this big smoking gun that the, the Raptors fans out there want to make it out to be. But yeah, just a wild ending and, and a huge, massive, massive win for the Kings. Absolutely massive, massive. I mean, they had to have, you know, I, I know we had the, that weird situation early in the season when a reporter asked Dave Yeager if the third game of the season was a must win before the game. And <laughs> Yeager's just like looked at him like, and then looked at, Chris Clark, the media director, like, what in the world? And then looked at me and then, like, 
looked at Jason Jones and looked, you know, like at Katie Christensen and like it's game three of 82. And it was like, coach, is this a, a must win? I mean, he went at him and I was like this strange situation, uh, not to call another reporter out. It was just, it was strange. It was the third game of the season. Someone's asking if it's a must win, which there are no must win games in game three. But strangely enough, I kind of feel like, what is this game 13? This might have been a must a must win game. Don't 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 you go there, James. It Man. might it have been. A, There's such a huge a, There's a huge it, difference between four and ten and five and nine. And then you're looking up and you still have OKC and the Rockets. Uh this actually was this team was down in the dumps. This would have been their fifth straight loss, including like four straight at, or three straight at home. I mean, I don't want to say it's a it, it's a must win, but it kind of feels like it might have been a I'll, must win. I'll, I'll say this about that Rockets game. If the Kings weren't historically bad at defending the three-point line, and I don't know what their numbers are this year, so you know, save me the tweets or spare me the tweets, they should win that Houston game. They're a better team than Houston. And And another thing, what you're seeing with the Raptors matchup is DeMar DeRozan is actually there the Kings have like three or four different guys they can throw at DeMar DeRozan and that actually makes sense defending a bigger two guard who has that kind of uh skill set that's he's not James Harden-esque but they're both guys that can bump you off the ball or probably bump you off your spot and and do things with the ball and so I think that that Rockets game is something the Kings if they can can win that game go two and three in this stretch and the, and the Thunder haven't been playing well Let's just be real about the Thunder. I mean, yeah, they got Russell Westbrook, but they're nowhere near where they'll be at the end of the year. So these are two winnable games. The 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 thing, though, before this five-game stretch, what we were saying, what I was saying is it wasn't about the win, the wins and the losses. It was how they would lose. And if they came out of it one and four, but you know didn't lose their heads or had their fighting spirit, you know, if they were just taking steps forward, that that would actually be okay for the Kings. And then the prove it time would be the, the schedule after these five games. And I agree with you. I agree with you there. It, so, I mean, this is a huge bonus. I thought they'd played the two games prior to that at about a C level. Um, you know, so, I mean, not great, obviously. But for the Kings, the typical course of action for them is to kind of implode when things get bad and that's not what you're seeing out of them. They're completely fighting in these games. They're, they're having these late comebacks. DeMarcus cousins is not getting into it with the refs as much. I know that's a massively loaded statement, but uh, he's getting hacked out there, which the combination of him getting hacked and not yelling at the refs or not doing it as much. That's a little bit of a surprise. Um, so, you know what? They're just, they're, they're hanging in there. Huge win. And um, at the same time, they're not even really playing close to their max. There's still a lot that they're leaving on the table. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't rule the Kings out for, for having that positive season that, you know, I, I definitely predicted. You know, I think we, we talk about Cousins all the time. And, and the last couple of years, it, it always centers around, number one, him yelling at the officials. And number two, him not hustling to get back. He hasn't had that issue all season long. It it. It feels like they broke him of that horrible habit with Team USA. And then the habit is gone. And I think, you know, we can all, I mean, if we were going to relate it to, say, like smoking cigarettes, we do know that habits can just come right back. But 
I think he's done a much, much better job of getting back at all times. And, and he's playing a ton of minutes. He's playing probably, I think, more minutes than he's ever he's ever played in his entire career uh, per game. I mean, he's just averaging, you know, a ton of minutes per game. Well, I guess not. 33.9. That's that's not as many as I thought. But he still has foul trouble here and there that they cost him. Um, but I think he's doing a better job all the way around. And he's been much more delightful to deal with in the locker room, although that hasn't been the case for everyone. Um, but he has he's grown a lot. And as far as what I meant by that hasn't been the case for everyone. He hasn't, he's had a, a, you know, a media person here and there that he's kind of, you know, shunned, but not, not his teammates. And, and I keep hearing more and more nice things about how good he's been as a teammate, especially off the court. His teammates have really started to sort of, you know, they hang out a lot of these guys. I mean, they all went to, the the debacle that was the Kanye concert uh not all of them but my most god of them. only only in Sacramento only in Sacramento you know I think uh Rasan who's one of the media the media relations guys and there's only two media relations guys now it's 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 a tough world over there um but he was at the concert and he he tweeted out uh you knew some that it wasn't gonna be a long night when Kanye showed up wearing sweatpants and it just like instantly made me think of Plaxico Burris at a New York nightclub with a gun in his pocket wearing sweatpants and he shot himself in the lake. But uh, yeah, I, I think that was a bad omen that he showed up wearing sweatpants to a, a concert. He showed up an hour and a half late. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's right in the head. I, I, I think it, he's, that boy he's right definitely... in the head. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't Bobby. think he's. I don't think he's right in the head. I, I think he. I mean, he canceled his tour. He, he's. He's probably. Um. I, you know. I. You worry about people in, in the high profile. You know. Spots when they start going crazy. Yeah, I guess so. And they. They've already like refunded money. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff that happened that night too that that people aren't. Aren't going on the record about what happened afterwards, sort of the aftermath of the concert, and. Uh, and you know it, it just wasn't pleasant i'm just glad that like nothing was destroyed in the brand new arena like you know i i kind of like the the weird science moment where the biker uh group shows up and just completely destroys his house and you know and, and they're standing there like what in the world's going on and they're you know they're like ripping through his house with uh with full motorcycles on the hardwood floors and you know it I was I was kind of hoping that didn't happen, where the stadium just didn't take the abuse for what happened with the concert, because I, I think a lot of people were upset and thought they weren't going to get their money back. So anyway, it was, we got sidetracked by this. But uh, Demarcus Cousins was at the concert. He found it to be humorous, although afterwards in the locker room, uh, following the the Raptors win, he said that he really feels for people that paid and you know might not get their money back. He said he had he knows somebody who had like worked overtime to pay the 300 bucks to go down on the floor and like the pit. And he's like, I feel really bad for him because you know, he worked a bunch of overtime just to be able to go to this concert. And this guy just completely flakes out and, and, you know, leaves early and, and makes everyone angry. So anyway, uh, we got more to talk about. So let's move on from the Kanye situation. Um, the Kings, you said like the San Antonio game and and then the next game was the Clippers. 
the San Antonio game was a debacle and the Kings were down by so much and they made this last second run against like third teamers. I don't even know if they're really third teamers at this point. Um, but that game, and I think it was really funny, the spread in that game, someone told me after the game, they're like, you know, the spread was five and a half and somehow the Kings came back and won and lost by five. And so that was actually a loss for people who bet on San Antonio. But that game was a debacle, and they came out in that game and looked completely uninspired. They had no energy to start the game. And that, you kind of had the same thing happen again in the next game. How do you how do you do that? How do you walk in into an NBA game and have no energy? I mean, it's your job to be in, to play basketball. But how do you like not understand that you've got to get up for a game? And they even said like the shoot around was horrible. Like it was 0 on 5 and they weren't even like getting anything done on on 0 on 5 drills and they're just like they they didn't take a game seriously. That's odd considering it's the San Antonio Spurs uh teams uh I don't know what the stat is. There's a stat I'm sure. It teams kind of the, the first game back at home is never a good time to bet on the home team there. There's some weird changing of, you know, your, your, uh, rhythm or what you do to get ready. But I, I mean, here's the answer. What happens when you don't see the ball go through the hoop is everything starts to fall apart. The, the game is, it's a game of, of confidence. It's a game of tempo. And so when you can't score, especially for, for a team that's not mature, you know, to the to the likes of a, a San Antonio Spurs, you're you're going to have trouble elsewhere. Your defense is going to start to break down. You're going to have, you know, the the kind of the problems that have plagued the, the Kings for for years. And so I think that those slow starts have been a real big hindrance to the Kings. And anybody that follows my Twitter account knows who I'm pointing at. And that's that's the whole Ty Lawson thing. And it's tough because Ty Lawson, by and large, is playing very hard basketball. And, and he's sticking his nose in there on defense where he can. But offensively, they're still playing four on five out there, even when he has his good moments. And that, I think when you see Darren Collison start, that's one way to address it. Uh, I don't know that they'll be able to get away with that, you know, playing the small lineup with, with the two of them together. But you cannot, with this particular team, with the way that they get emotional and lose their cool, or at least that's been the book on them in the past. You cannot have those slow starts. I used to say you could bring Collison off the bench because he would lend him, his scoring would be a better fit there. But I think it's, it's long past time for, for Collison to start next to Garrett Temple. And if you're, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to start Lawson for whatever reasons, then, then you really got to look at bringing Temple in really early in that first quarter. You just can't get off to a slow start. Things, especially just Cousins alone. When Cousins get frustrated, gets frustrated, he reaches for fouls, and and he is in so much foul trouble constantly. You got to get better starts. I I totally agree, except for the fact that I don't I don't buy into Garrett Temple as a starter. And you and I have gone back and forth on this a couple of times, but there's a really specific reason. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at his three-point percentage, and he's actually doing really well. He's shooting 39.3%, which is way higher than I thought he was shooting. And he's shooting 458 from from the field uh, overall. And that's really good. But when I watch a game like the Toronto game, and you have Garrett Temple on the elbow, and he feeds down to DeMarcus Cousins, everyone in the league just goes down and doubles DeMarcus instantly. They, they don't even guard Temple. 
and I saw it time and time again. Not only that, but I also saw plenty of times where Temple took his guy and ran him into right into someone else's play. Like he tried to make a cut that wasn't his cut to make, and all he did was bring his defender right in and, and add an extra, you know, two bodies into the middle of the lane while Rudy Gay was trying to do something or uh or Aaron Aflalo was trying to do something. So I think he's still. I like him as all. He's not the same style of player, but he actually has some traits, and that's Tony Allen. I think yeah, I do like him, liken him to Tony Allen, and the fact that he really plays hard nosed defense. And I understand what you're saying about you know getting him on the floor with Collison because I do think that that makes a nice offensive defensive you know lineup. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, then you you have to have someone at the four that can they can actually score and i just don't think the kings because cousins and gay are isolation type players i don't think that you can do it unless you've got a a knockdown shooter at the four to go with temple in the starting lineup so i'm gonna i want to i want to throw down the gauntlet I, i i think that garrett temple should if not be the the leading minute getter for this team he should be maybe just a notch below Rudy Gay. And I'd like to see Darren Collison be in that mix as well, playing 33, 34 minutes per game. But uh, that apparently is off the table. Um, But being that you have two guys that need the ball in their hands a lot, Darren Collison is just fine being kind of a, you know, even-keeled offensive player. You you need these these glue guys uh, next to those three. And, And his defense, I think you would have a hard time finding five defenders, 10 defenders that are better than him on the perimeter. And with those numbers that you mentioned uh, offensively, I mean, he's probably one of the Kings top five offensive players. Hmm. And so if, if you're going to be that, you know, that good on defense and you've got that offense, you know, that advantage compared to your teammates, I don't see why he, I don't see why he comes off the floor. I mean, so um, I'm going to throw my well defensively down. again. I, I agree defensively. I think I, he's been he's on most nights. I'm going to throw wonderful. down the the Isaiah Thomas guarantee of greatness. Oh no, he said. Uh, I'm kidding. Not 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 the guarantee of greatness. Greatness is a you know that's a great word. But no, I do think he should be playing 30 minutes at a minimum. I mean, you, he's he's too good defensively to take off the floor, and he he gets to all the fifty fifty balls. And you know what? I mean, I I, I would think he gets more defensive attention than uh, than Ty Lawson does. Um, well, maybe except for Ty Lawson can take you off the dribble. So I, I mean, and while he hasn't finished on the season, he's actually had he's having a little bit of a of a bounce back. And you know, we've talked about this before. Lawson kept complaining. And kept saying, like, look, every time I go to beat my man off the dribble, there's just two big guys standing there with their two defenders standing there, and I can't do anything against this. And he's like, you know, Don Piano, he's beating his head against the piano because uh, he can't play row, row, row your boat on the piano. And so I get Ty Lawson's, like, angst there, except for the fact that, you know, again, talking to Doug Christie about these things, uh, like, in pregame and when 
he's driving to the Bay Area and I'm driving to the Bay Area. He he always says like if you you really watch this offense, the way for Lawson or for Collison or for any of the guards to really really be productive is to give the ball up and get it back. And Lawson thinks that he has to score with the ball in his hand and he'll get the ball back if he gives it up and, and makes his cut and does the right things. And I, I think we're starting to see Lawson come around quite a bit on on all of this. And especially once they made the move to pull Kufis and sit him on the sidelines. We've only seen it for a game and a half, but to have Kufis come off the bench and not start alongside Cousins, it just really freed up everything. All of a sudden you're seeing passing lanes and not just passing lanes, but driving lanes and cutting lanes. You're seeing all these things open up that weren't there a couple of days ago. And so I think that's good. It's good for Collison. It's good for Lawson. Uh, it's good for Aflalo as well because he he likes to do his isolation thing, but he's also done an okay job of catching and shooting. Um, he did take a hit. He needed knee contact on uh, against against Toronto, and he's he was hurting after the game. He was limping, and actually Jaeger said he pulled him out of the game because he thought he was hurting and he would would have played more minutes down the stretch. But I, I found it interesting that it was Aflalo who got pulled when they went to this new lineup and and Barnes of course went in for Kufis that made sense but it was Aflalo who lost out on his job sort of as a starter and then he comes right off the bench and drops 14 in in the first half of that game so I think he's he's a great fit off the bench I think so I mean, too. he 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 wants to get his shots and and he's having a hard time you know generating his own shots that's going to be kind of accentuated on the second unit but his willingness to take shots is a nice fit on that second unit. I think he should be a three. I mean, he doesn't have the range of a two. He he's not fast enough to be a two anymore. But he but he's strong enough to be a three. And and then his shooting uh, touch actually translates to be, translates to being a three quite well. Um, I, the the interesting part too is having Cousins at center. It does help Ty Lawson's game considerably. And and he has played better this week. He's um getting more space and and that's key for him. But um. The, the, the big take, you can always run out a bunch of small guys and get a bunch of spacing and, you know, it's fun and it's fast and, you know, it's, it's supposedly the new NBA, but that the kicker to that is on the defensive side. If you've got Collison defending other twos or however you want to arrange that, the, the one thing that you can do is put better defenders behind them to, uh, to help uh, ease some of the pressure with that. But you're not going to get a lot of mileage out of that starting lineup with uh, Lawson and Collison playing together there's just too many ways that good guards in the nba can can beat that up yeah i i don't i don't like that either i think they have to make a change there uh, i mean i think this was game one of something new that jaeger was trying i just don't think i i, I really think you need to use them as a one-two punch because i think they almost played them too much and wore both of them out and, and then you you started to fade and when you need them to to be there they weren't there the one thing I'll say about Lawson that is kind of missed in this this whole season, his assisted turnover turnover ratio has been elite for much for much of the year, which is really nice because even if he's not out there doing incredible things, he's also not doing really really bad things. Um, he he is doing bad things as far as missing shots and stuff like that. Uh, but you know here Ty Lawson is shooting thirty seven percent from three. And if he can continue that, even if he doesn't get his field goal percentage way up high above 40%, um, then, you know, he as long as he's drawing people to him with a three-pointer. But to see that he's averaging 5.2 assists 
and 1.4 turnovers. That's pretty substantial. Again, you want a three to one. Three to one is like elite, and he's at like he's almost four to one. And again, the other night he had eight. He had eight assists and two turnovers. So he's not killing you with mistakes. He's killing you with the fact that he gets blocked at the rim because he had no confidence. But his confidence seems to be bubbling up a little bit. So I'm not ready to again to just throw him away and say just just wave him and sign Jordan Farmar back. I think he needs this little bit of time to see what he looks like with a little bit more spacing. I'll just say that I'm I'm fine with playing it out and, and seeing what you have in Ty Lawson. You know, if I, if I was in charge, I, I think there are better guards out there. I'll just be blunt. But I can also see the wisdom of, hey, you've invested into this. You know, there there is some some value to keeping it going, and there is some potential there. So uh, I see that. But I, I do think that it's it's fair game to say that that the chips have been put in the middle on Lawson and and the results have not been great so far. So at some point in time, if if it continues to not work, then you have to ask why is it still being put out there? And and we'll see. Um I, I think that Darren Colson being put in the starting lineup was a great step. Um, you know, we'll see if that continues and we'll see how that lineup gets arranged. That closing lineup is a really good one. And I think you can pull Barnes out of that clo- closing lineup, which was basically Collison, Temple, Rudy Gay, mm-hmm. uh, Barnes, and, and DeMarcus Cousins. You could pull Barnes out of that and stick any number of guys. And one of the beauty, uh, the beauties of playing the Collison Temple lineup is because it has such good backcourt defense, you can actually do some interesting things with like Rudy Gay and Omri Caspi. You you can you can get away with poor defense or you know not poor defense, but being small at the four spot and, yeah. and having cousins kind of, you know, cousins is good at what he does, but he does create a different dynamic where you can attack him on the pick and roll. And, and that frees up the offensive glass for the other team. Yeah, I, I totally have agree. a good, if you have a good backcourt, you can play that with, you could play that way though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Kings need to have more production out of the backcourt, even still, I mean, they need somebody else to step up and be that, that third score Collison is trying his best to do that. He's averaging 12 and a half points a game. That number will go up after after the Raptors game. He actually, I think he had 15, uh, 15 or 16. He had, he had a quality game against the Raptors. It wasn't like an oh my gosh game, but he also had nine assists. He got things going really early. Uh, I, I liked how when Collison for me is at his most effective, it's when he spends the first quarter of the game getting everyone involved. And as soon as everyone feels like they're involved and he's got sort of everyone else rolling, then he has an ability to just get himself fired up really quickly and get himself right into the game and launch for eight points over like a four minute stretch and get himself, you know, in the conversation. Now you brought up Caspi. We're going to have to keep talking about Caspi. Um, if for no other reason, because it's like really, really baffling, it's baffling and it's baffling to Omri, just so people know. I've had plenty of conversations with him, and he's trying to keep his chin up, and he's he's very frustrated with the situation. He's just not going to play until some someone gets hurt. That's what it feels like to me. And or if the Kings continue to lose, they go on like a long losing streak, and then they've got they have no choice but to like say, all right, let's just give the guy a shot. And I don't really know why that is, and Omri doesn't either. I mean, we saw this week that he said he hadn't even 
He hadn't even talked to Dave Yeager really except for like in team settings since all the way back in training camp. He has, though, he's talked to Vlade Divac a ton. And I know that uh, by com- with conversations with him. And he's never really gotten an answer that makes sense to him as to why he's not playing. And Vlade doesn't have a lot of answers to give him. Um, it's just a coach is going to play the players he's going to play. And Omri kind of has to sit back and wait for his moment. There was this situation, though. And, you know, Aaron... I've been doing this is my seventh season. Um, I think one time I put out a lineup and I I inadvertently put Demarcus Cousins' name in a lineup when I knew he wasn't going to be playing because I was so used to writing and Demarcus Cousins when I tweeted out the King starting lineup and Cousins was out for the game and he was out like over the course of like three or four games. But I don't ever run out and make crazy lineup statements and say this is going to happen or that's going to happen uh, i'm very conservative when it comes to reporting what's going to happen but my goodness i whiffed so hard on <laughs> sunday night with regards to the lineup and i'm going to tell everyone who's listening you can say oh my gosh you totally killed us in fantasy basketball um i, was I say, how's your twitter feed doing yeah it was okay it was okay uh, people making stupid statements here and there, but um, I had multiple conversations and actual visual evidence that Omri Caspi was in the starting lineup, and I don't know what happened. I I can't tell you what happened. And, and in all honesty, he was starting at the shooting guard spot against Demar Derozan, um, which people are going to go, "What in the world?" But if you look at how the Kings did start the game with Darren Collison guarding DeMar DeRozan, and I'm not even sure how that worked out because it worked out brilliantly. DeRozan, once again, completely had the worst game of of the season, 3 of 15 from the field. He scores 12 points. The Kings, he scored 30 points in all but three games now all season. One of those was uh, the Cavs. The other two times are against Sacramento Kings. The Kings just have his number. But again, DeMar DeRozan's six seven, and he should have gone right up over the top with his jump, his jump shot over Darren Collison time and time again, and it didn't work out. So I don't know what to say other than, hey, look, people, I'm sorry if you somehow started Omri Caspi in your in your fantasy lineup, and if you did that, I feel bad for your team anyways because Omri's only played in six games and only 15 minutes a night. But I don't put things out there unless I know that that that's pretty much the way it is and I hedge my bet a little bit because Dave Yeager has been very very secretive about his lineups and he's done things he switched them here and there little tweaks but he he doesn't let anyone know and then all of a sudden boom it's different but everything I knew coming into Sunday night's game within I don't know 30 minutes of the game was that Omri was starting in the shooting guard spot yeah well I mean, the the way that that's all going down is, you know, probably something that we'll look at over time in, in terms of Dave Yeager's style, how he communicates with players, how he handles his lineup decisions. You know, the Memphis guys will tell you point blank that he's pretty frustrating when it comes to lineups, which I find interesting because there's, um, you know, they had such stability over there for so long. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they already knew like, who four of them like, were. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I kind of wonder what the nature of the complaints were, but they, they have specifics. I just don't remember what they are. 
this is, you know, old GM, old moves, you know, this isn't the, the, the Dave Yeager decision to have Omri Caspi on this team. So that's basically what that is. And whether or not it's, it's the right decision, it remains to be seen. Um, I, I don't think Omri's a great fit for, for the system. That's probably a lot, has a lot to do with it, but he should be playing in my opinion. So there is that. And, and we've seen Jaeger go to his guys. And I think, you know, speaking of that, it, you know, Ty Lawson is one of his guys. I think that that's one of the reasons that you've see, seen Ty Lawson continue to get the extended minutes that he's getting. That's one of the reasons that Costa Kufas has stayed in, in that lineup for so long. And and that one, I mean, that doesn't get as much run, but him and DeMarc is playing next to each other is just a kind of a bad idea. Um, it is and not so, a good idea. And there is like tons of, of statistical data to back that up but go ahead it's yeah but and that's kind of the thing here is is jaeger's he's turning you know he's not turning into he's always been this he's 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 pretty stubborn coach and i guess they're all stubborn but to what degrees and how quickly do you get off of your lineup decisions is basically you know what it boils down to and um you know uh, again we'll see with costa if he gets back into the lineup or if he continues to play kind of a lesser role and I think that, you know, Costa, he's got a lot of value when, when you look at like Jonas Valanciunas. He, he, Costa, who had a kind of a bad first half, in my opinion, came back and played some great defense and, and had, you know, a really nice third quarter there. And you need that backup big for when a foul tro- or foul prone uh, big man like DeMarcus Cousins gets sent out of the game due to foul trouble. Um, but having those two play together is, is just no good. So. We'll see what's what's going on with Jaeger. I mean, it could be that he's trying to establish with everybody around him, management included, that he's in charge and, and that he's got control over this thing. And a lot of coaches will do that through the first 10 to 20 games. Whatever their plan A was, they don't want to give up on it. You know, they, they made that plan. That's their plan. And, you know, 15 games in, if it's not working, they're probably going to give it another five games. And, and again, it's in my line of work, I make predictions for a living. You know, if, if, if I don't get off of a bad prediction quickly, well, I'm going to end up costing people money or, you know, whatever it is we're talking about, fantasy basketball or whatever have you. And, and that in this business is really the nature of it is how quickly can you get off the bad predictions and then can you get some good ones too. Um, but kind of, I guess, bringing this full circle here, the Kings now have a great opportunity to, I think, it, at a minimum – finish two and three in this five game stretch. And if they don't, that'll be a little bit disappointing in my book might steal away from their momentum. And then we'll be in that, that span that we were talking about. This will define their season to me. The, the, the five games after these five games, those are going to be the ones that dictates if DeMarcus cousins remains a King. That's right. Those five games. That's because if they lose, it's both. I, I think, I just think it is. Cause I think it's going to set the table for, uh, how would I how would I characterize this? If they're dumpster fire in those five games, if if they go oh and fire, if it's just terrible, I think the narrative turns. I think that the people, and not just around the league, but internally within the Kings, I think they start to look at this and say, you know what, it hasn't worked. We we got to move on. We got to explore trading him at a, at a high point in his value. I don't think that they're close to that though right now. I think that the subtle improvements that you're seeing in his attitude the subtle improvements that you're seeing is that this team go through the fact that they do have Darren Collison back the fact that they're learning this system all these little subtle improvements 
are, are kind of burying themselves out at the ends of these games. They're not giving up. Now they get this big win. Um, I, I think they're closer to building off of this than they are to dumpster fire. But those five games, if they're staring at a five and 15 record or whatever it could be, I don't, I don't know what the, the math actually would pan out as, but if it's, if it's not good, then I do think that that will be the time that you start to hear things move on the DeMarcus Cousins front. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that they're totally ready, but you might be you might be right. So, but let's just look at those games. We got the Brooklyn Nets. These are all on the road. They have a six-game road trip. It's the Nets, the Wizards, the 76ers. Those three games, <clears throat> realistically, you have to win. Yeah, can you uh, imagine an Owen an Owen three stretch against those teams? That that would be like the most alarming thing of all time. Following that, they have Boston, who is not playing very well. Uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll they'll heat up just in time for them. Yeah, and then you have the Knicks, who are hit and miss, and you have the Dallas Mavericks, who are absolutely atrocious. Uh, and then you have the Knicks again, and then you have the Jazz, who aren't playing great ball right now, and then you have the Lakers, who aren't playing great, uh, who are who are playing uh, over their heads. So if you really look at that six-game road trip followed by the next three games, that nine games, there's potential for seven and two. There's potential. I I don't think there's really potential for for two and seven. Uh, for two and seven, I don't think there is. And you if there what? is, then I mean, you you just throw the season away, just like you have it, every other season. That's I, I mean that's the same thing that was said about the road trip to start the season is look at who they're going to go play after Atlanta they were all patsies, you know and and then they lost them all, and except that's, for I the Raptors why, which they shouldn't have won, yeah they just match up really well with the Raptors I mean it is it's a strange with, thing I totally agree it's a it's just a matchup thing they've got like four guys that can defend Demar Derozan no teams don't even have one that can do that the Kings just happen to have a lot of those guys but back to the point if they. The, 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 Circle that section of the of, of the schedule, Kings fans. That's what you're going to want to look at to determine if you're going to be seeing a trade of Demarcus Cousins. And if they survive that, then I think that it's kind of a referendum on Cousins, and and he actually pulls through this thing with Sacramento. He wants to be in Sacramento. You know, I'm I'm even hearing that his agent is no longer pushing to get him out of Sacramento. So so keep that in mind. When, when, when you when you see all these stories out there, it, this is these are the other GMs that are putting these stories out. At least that's what I'm hearing. And so it would it would be something else if Demarcus Cousins can turn it around because he has quite a few detractors here in Sacramento. And um, you know if, if if that moves forward the way that it that it looks like it could, that would be a nice little story for the Kings. Okay, so I'm looking at the next 19 games the Kings play. Of those 19 games. Five are at home. So I I would like to say that this is a stretch because in that stretch, they have the Mavs a, a couple of times. They've got Philadelphia twice. Uh, again, they've got the Jazz who aren't playing phenomenal ball. They've got them twice. Uh, they've got the Wizards. They've got Brooklyn. They've got the Knicks twice. You know, So they have all of these games that, that they could win. But you're still looking at five home games and 14 road games. When they get to like the new year, they're going to be so skewed with how many road games they've had versus home. And, and so there is, there's, it just never feels like there's a let up in this schedule. And I don't know why it feels that way completely, but even going into the all-star break, 
you know, the end of January, they have another seven game road trip. And it, I, I don't know when their schedule has a break. Uh, I'm waiting to find that break, but it's probably late in the season when typically the Kings are completely out of it. It's really bizarre. This is, it's tough, man. I, I would like to say like, look, they'll, the, the entire franchise will be defined by that 19 games, you know, once they hit the road and in a couple of games, uh, but I just don't know that that's the case because it really it doesn't matter how you shake it you, out. That schedule is brutal. Do you think that the anti Demarcus Cousins faction within Sacramento and or outside of Sacramento that feels he should be moved as well? You think that 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 will be? Oh, it's gonna the he, heat's gonna get turned up. That that's what I'm yeah. saying. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, the heat's going to be like, whoa. There's been a few heat checks already that have been thrown out there, and, and maybe prematurely so. It, it's funny. I think that these stories sit there already drafted, and they're just waiting to hit send. They're like, is this, is this the moment that they crumble? Yeah. No, I, I'm going to wait. Oh, I, I'm going to wait. Oh, wait, they won. Okay, I'll wait until the next... Well, what did he have? He had three technicals in the first week of the season, and then he picked up a fourth, right? Which the fourth tech... They they rescind that one? I I didn't go back and look, but they should have rescinded that. Who was that against? Um, That was the biggest garbage. Myers-Leonard tech. And Myers-Leonard, for for what it's worth, he's been running around clocking people left and right since that game. So I don't know if, if... Boogie got him started on that because he hasn't played like that. Well, you got to remember that last year to start the season, he had that he was playing really, really well, and it was because he was playing ultra physical. And then he went back to shooting three pointers the whole time, and he ended up being like a really poor man's version of Channing Fry. And you're like, oh, yuck. And, and next thing you know, he, he was hurt and he's out, and you know, and then they gave him way too much money. So I guess it all worked out for him in the end. Um, yeah, I I don't know how we got to that got to that answer. Yeah, the my fantasy listeners will kind of roll their eyes at the Myers Leonard stuff. Um, but <laughs> it, there's there's uh I I just don't see Cousins surviving if if they don't at least play 500 for for that stretch of games that you've outlined because it, it gets to the point where I think that even the most ardent Demarcus Cousins supporter is going to look at it and say, you know what? It's just not working in this location and, and, and that you might have to just part ways. Again, I, I'm not of that mind. I, I think that when you have a talent like that, you, you, you want to do everything that you can to keep it. You're not going to get equal value in return. I think you got to give him more time with uh, Dave Yeager and, and company to, to make it work out. I just The heat will be on. And, and that schedule is there's a ton of winnable games, a ton. Even though they're on the road, they should realistically win more than 50% of those games. Yeah, I and think, I think they will. I, I think the Heat will be on, but at the same time, uh, I think the Kings will, behind closed doors, already have long conversations about long-term negotiations and uh, a four- or five-year max money deal. And they'll know whether or not Cousins will sign that or not during the offseason and whether he's going to be a fixture here. Again, you have to remember he's only 26. I mean, he's so incredibly young. He at least has, I would say, eight years of really high-level ball left in him. 
And so I wouldn't doubt that the Kings lock him up to a give him the what they have the one deal you can give to one player that's for a fifth year and it's a fifth year on top of the final year of their contract so it becomes a six year contract. I actually think that the Kings will work to to fully extend him. He will not reach free agency if if he's going to be in Sacramento. Like the Kings aren't going to run into and for that matter he will if he says yes, I'm staying here and I want to be here, and the Kings say, "All right, let's do this," um, I think that will happen. I mean, personally, Aaron, in the last like I'd say week, I've had conversations with cousins in the locker room, just the two of us having conversations. He has told me straight up, "This is where I want to be. I haven't asked to be traded. I don't." He's like, "I don't know what all these rumors out there are." He's like he actually throws out a name of a an opposing GM that he thinks starts a bunch of these things, but at the same time he's he's pretty sold that you know that none of that stuff is real, and I think the Kings have been pretty straightforward with him and told him exactly what their plan is, and they gave him the option option to either buy into that plan or to bail on that plan and let them go find a new home for him, and I think he said yes. And so for right now, I think the plan moving forward is for him to be a Sacramento King. And people are going to go, what? Are you crazy? But we keep talking about this. He's been so much better. He has. He's been. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't, I, I don't think he would want me to sugarcoat it. I don't think he's been perfect. And I don't, I think he has a long way to go. I'll put it that way. As far as doing the right things to win basketball games, he's the best. He's the best big man in the league. Uh, I'll say that he is uber talented and he is taking steps forward, but there's still a long way to go. And I think people that would, would want to criticize his play do have valid points. And and I said this, if he could work on one thing, it's don't fall anymore. Like, and I, I, I say that kind of kidding, but if he just did that one thing for his game to stop falling, because he leads, he's got to lead the league in four on five, or, or five on four breaks the other way. I mean, there's at least five to 10 a game. And that's, you know, that's just one of the, the many different areas that he can be picking up, um, you know, different uh, ways to approach the game. And, yeah. and I think he will. But I will say this. They are going to come at him with a fury internally in Sacramento. <clears throat> pardon me. Externally outside of Sacramento. So that, the pressure will be real. And and but they can avoid all of that by just simply going five hundred, by just simply winning basketball games. Is that what you're saying, Aaron? If they win basketball yeah. games, that that it will actually cure all. And, and you know, the same maybe a little more than five hundred, a little more than five hundred. Say, go like six hundred over that trip. Then then I think that that folks will see the improvement and people will calm down on the Cousins front. Yeah, and I think that they could actually get through. So we we looked at what a nineteen game stretch after the two games that are coming up, a nineteen game stretch where they played. It was four and fifteen, right? As far as home versus road, if they can go, I don't know, twelve and seven in that stretch, and and actually be near five hundred, I think a lot of the the drama quiets down. Because if you really look at the league right now. Parity is king. They, there's like five elite teams, and then there's a huge, big there's a muck. Big, oh. big old soft 
un, the the belly <laughs> of the Western Conference is, is they're so is not the good. So is the East. The East yeah, uh, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. there. The, 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 you look at these schedules and you're like, wow, that's a lot of bad teams. And and Memphis is not good. Houston is not good. Well, Oklahoma Memphis, City. Who, they they backed up the Mem- truck for Chandler uh, Chandler Chandler Parsons. Uh, he yeah, is he, he, seriously. I, I, he must have some sort of charisma when he walks in a room. We were talking about this earlier. What does he do to get his money? Because it's like he didn't get paid his first like three years in the league. He was on that second round rookie scale deal where everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, he's so great and he's making no money." And then the second he got paid, it was like they smacked a giant fragile sticker on him, and you know he hasn't he hasn't been great. He hasn't even been good. And then they pay him. People keep pay. He's gonna make. It's gonna be something like a hundred and forty million dollars, hundred and fifty million over like a six year stretch. I, I don't even know if he's gonna play sixty I, games I, a year. He he theoretically fits in Memphis, but it was a terrible contract, and it's it's playoffs are playoffs are attainable for the Kings. Like, and, and I know that sounds crazy. They're five and nine, a lot of bad moments, but I mean Utah will get it right. But Minnesota's got a lot. I, they, they're kind of surprising me with kind of how much work they need. Phoenix is no good. New Orleans is no good. Denver, they got issues with too many players. They've been up and down. Um, they'll probably improve as the year goes on. Utah will definitely be in the mix. But like Houston, Oklahoma City, Portland, the Lakers are, are right now in the eighth slot. That All that's attainable. And yep. so it's yeah. early. And but if, I, I, I think that this, this stretch of games, getting this win tonight was a huge thing for their future, you know, in this short term here. And, um, you know, they need, to, they need to build off it. They cannot go 0-2. I mean, they can if they play well, but really these are two winnable games. This might be a little bit of a, a bellwether for things to come. There we go. All right, Aaron, we got to get this thing rolled out. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I got none, man. I, I am spent another long week, you know, watching NBA basketball. Poor nothing. me. I got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. Um, let's see. Final thoughts. Uh, I don't think I have much either. I think this is. It's been a little bit of a an emotional roller coaster for Kings fans. We told you in the beginning, never too high, never too low. Um, I, if you look at their record, five and nine, they've got two overtime losses. They win both of those games. They're at seven and seven. If the Miami thing doesn't happen, where it goes to overtime, where the the Demarcus Cousins phantom foul, um, you know, and, and then again the the other overtime session in Portland, then they're seven and seven, and we're not even having this conversation. You you can go through and cherry pick their schedule and say if you don't lose to an Orlando, if you don't lose to the Lakers. Um, all of a sudden they're, they're eight and six and they're the bell of the ball and everyone's talking about how great they are and how amazing Dave Yeager has been. So I think it's just a little tweak here, a little tweak there. They really haven't been embarrassed outside of the, the Milwaukee game, uh, and the first half of the Clippers game and the first half of the San Antonio game, but both of those, they at least fought back to destroy people's, uh, bets and steal their money. Um, so at least there's that, you know, again, the, the Clippers game, they got to within two with like two minutes less. They actually had a legitimate shot after trailing by 26. So they're showing signs, but we've seen these signs before the Jekyll and Hyde Sacramento Kings. You just never really know what you're going to get from one night to the next. 
so I guess, I guess hold on to your hats. It's going to be a wild ride. Again, Aaron, you got anything? Going once. Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple, 34 minutes per game. Lock it. Lock it in. Lock it in. E gods. All right. Uh, we have officially moved the podcast to Mondays. It works better for everyone except for when a late, late game on Sunday night happens, and then we drag it out a little bit. Uh, but we'll work to refine the process to get it out to you Monday mornings. So sorry about the move, but it, it just – it really, if you look at the NBA schedule, it works better for everyone involved. So, again, for Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com, I am James Ham. We'll see you soon. 